0: If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. And while you're turning there, let me say that it's good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to share God's Word, and I can assure you that I have no other agenda during these services but to just lift up the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we do everywhere God sends us around the world. I tell people when we get there, you know a lot of times they don't know what to expect, and I say, Look, I'm not here to lift up myself, I'm not here to lift up our ministry, I'm not here to lift up my denomination, I'm here to lift up the name of Jesus, because the Bible says that if he be lifted up, that he will draw men, women, boys, and girls to himself. and that's what I pray for these services is that as we worship together around God's Word, and as we praise Him together through song, and as we hear Him speak to us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit just speaking in our heart, I pray that we'll be drawn closer to Him. I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know Him as Savior, that this would be the moment when they would give their life to Him, and that their life would be transformed in only the way that Jesus Christ can do. But I also pray that all of us, even those of us that have been saved for a long time, that these services would be a time where we could be revived, truly revived. Where when we get finished with these services that we can say, truly the Lord has met us in that place and we have heard him speak to us and we've been obedient to what it is he has said to us and we've been drawn closer to him in our Christian life. Um, Nehemiah chapter 13 And as we get there, I I need to set some context, and I'm going to shorten that a little bit, but I I feel like I need to set a little bit of context for where we are there. Actually, uh, in the Old Testament, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, talk about the same period of time, if you will. In fact, uh, those books are linked uh, very closely. In the Jewish canon, for example, those books are combined Uh, We have them separate in our Bible, but the books of Ezra and Nehemiah talk about uh, a a continual point in history. You'll remember that in the Old Testament, God had told his people when he led them out of captivity in Egypt, and he he was going to lead them to a promised land, and he said, when you get there, uh, you're going to find that this is a very blessed place, and I want to use that place to be a blessing to you. And he says, and if you'll just obey my word, if you'll just make a priority in your life of doing what I've asked you to do and living the way I've asked you to live, you're going to be blessed tremendously. And he said, but if you don't do that, if you get to that land that's flowing with milk and honey and over time you allow the goodness of what's going on around you, the goodness of the material life that you're experiencing, if you allow that to cause you to forget about me, And to forget about my word and to stop making my word and my commandments a priority in your life. And surely if you begin to disobey me, there's going to be punishment. And God even tells them that they could be sent into captivity. Well, you know how the story turns out. Uh, God does lead his children out. He does lead them to the promised land. It is exactly the way he's described. Wonderful place. And over time, God's people, as they are living under the blessing of God in the promised land, they begin to forget the word of God. They begin to forget his commands. And so God sends them into captivity as a judgment. He allows the Babylonians in 587 to come into Jerusalem. And they not only conquer Jerusalem, they not only uh, destroy much of the city, they not only destroy the temple and burn it down, they destroy the, the walls around the city, opening, opening it up to all of the hostile neighbors, and they take off many of the uh, most educated and, and people uh, that are Israelites, they take them back to Babylon to be servants. And those that are living in captivity find themselves there for decades. But in 539 BC, something happens. God's always working, even when it doesn't look like he's working. So they've been in captivity, say, about 60 years. And God allows the Persian king, Cyrus, to overthrow Babylon. And after he overthrows Babylon, he issues a decree in the time after that inviting the Jews in his kingdom to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And actually, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, we have a detailed description of that taking place. In the first six chapters of the book of Ezariah, a man by the name of Zerubbabel is used by God to go back to Jerusalem and lead some of the Jewish people to rebuild the altar and ultimately to rebuild the temple. Now, it was not the type of temple that was originally built. It did not have that grandeur. And in fact, some of the oldest people that remembered what the old temple looked like when they were there the dedication of the new temple, they literally wept. They literally wept because they saw how much things had changed because of their sin. But the temple is rebuilt. And then some 60 years later, in the 7th through the 10th chapters of the book of Ezra, Uh, God uses Ezra himself to go back to Jerusalem and lead another group of people, another group of those that have been in captivity. And they start not a physical rebuilding, but a spiritual rebuilding, if you will. A rebuilding of the Jewish community, a rebuilding of the, the spiritual aspect of their lives. And then about 12 years after that, and this is the book that we're in, the book of Nehemiah, about 12 years after Ezra goes back and attempts that spiritual renewal, A man by the name of Nehemiah is serving as a slave uh, in the palace, and he hears from some people that are visiting the city, uh, he asks them, you know, how how are things in Jerusalem? How are the things with the city of God? And they say, well, uh, actually, they're not good. You know, the the walls are still torn down, Uh, the city is still exposed to its enemies, they're still much there that's not what it ought to be. And so what happens is Nehemiah approaches the person that he's serving, a king by the name of Artaxerxes, and he asks him permission to go back and to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be at the very end of that book, but if you read that book, what the book of Nehemiah is about is God working through Nehemiah, being allowed to go back by this pagan king, Artaxerxes, and he leads people back, and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And actually, it's an engineering feat because they actually rebuild the walls in 52 days. And they do that with all, without the technology that we have today, and they do that at a time... When they're under constant attack, people are trying to attack them. People are trying to fight them the whole time that they're building the walls. But God works, and he works through Nehemiah, and he works through the people, and they're able to complete the project, even though they have to work with a construction tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. When we get to Nehemiah 13, the wall is completed. completed. They are in the process of having a dedication service. What we do when we complete a new building or whatever. We most of the time we'll have some type of dedication service and dedicate it to the Lord. And that's what they did. They were dedicating the wall that they had completed to the Lord. And that's where we get to in Nehemiah 13. We have choirs up on the newly constructed wall. They're singing. We have instruments being played. We have Uh, prayers being lifted. We have the word of God being publicly read. And it says in Nehemiah 13, verse 1, on that day, as they were having this worship service, they read from the holy book Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water and had hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So there had been basically like a famine of the word of God. Uh, That's what got them into captivity to begin with. Not listening to God, not making a priority of the word of God, of the commandments of God. And you know, that is a temptation for all of us, especially those of us that live in a country like the United States where we have most of the material, physical things that we need. The temptation is as we are living in ease, as we are living in comfort, uh, as we have most of our physical needs taken care of, the temptation It's to slowly drift away from the Lord, to slowly drift away from His Word, to slowly drift away from making the commandments of God a priority in our life. And that's something that we not only see here that happened in the life of the Israelites, it's something that we see in our own country as well. While our country was founded with Judeo-Christian principles, we see in the world in which you and I live today that we have drifted further and further away from that, and more and more people in the society in which we live don't have time for God, don't have time for His Word, and aren't interested in His commandments. So, As a matter of fact, in much of our society, God's commandments have been banned. We don't want to hear them. We don't want to see them. We don't, wanna, we don't want them up on the wall. But my friends, that's not just true in our public society. That's not just true in our government or in our education system. That's not just true in those secular areas of society. The the reality is that many Americans, many of the people that live in this blessed land have forgotten God. And they've forgotten his word. And they've turned their back on his commandments. Well, what happens when you do that? Well... The first thing that tends to happen when you, when you do that is you allow things and people into your life that ought not to be in your life. When you, when you neglect the Word of God, when you stop reading the Word of God, when you stop studying the Word of God, when you stop obeying the Word of God, when, it, when it's no longer a priority in your life, the very first thing that happens is you drift away from the Lord is you begin to allow things and people in your life that are destructive. Well, that's what had happened to the Israelites. Notice what he says here. And what he says may sound a little bit foreign. It says they began to read and they read in the word of God where God had forbidden the Ammonites and the Moabites to come into the assembly of God. And the reason that God had forbidden these people to come into the assembly of God is because when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt in captivity, And they were coming out of the wilderness, they passed through the land of the Ammonites and the Moabites and they needed water and they needed food and they asked the Ammonites and Moabites, will you help us, will you give us, we won't, we won't bother you, we won't take anything from you, we won't, you know, try to take your land from you, will you just give us some water and food and they said no, you can't have anything. And in fact, they went and found somebody and tried to cast a curse on God's people. And God said, because of what the Ammonites and Moabites did, I am going to pronounce a judgment on them that they're not going to be allowed into the assembly of my people, into into the worship of my people, into the sanctuary of my people for up to ten generations. Well, when they're having this worship service, And that's what they're doing, they're having a worship service, and they're singing these songs, and they're praying these prayers, somebody stands up and opens the Bible and begins to read. Okay, oh, is it better? Sorry, I flipped it the wrong way. So somebody stands up to read, and you have to imagine, you know, this is, you know, history they're reading. But all of a sudden they're having this worship service, it'd be like us in here, and somebody stands up and reads, and they begin to read where God has forbidden in his word, in his commandments, that the Ammonites and Moabites would come into the congregation of God's people up to ten generations. Well, as they're reading, people begin to look around. And they say, Well, isn't that an Ammonite? Isn't that a Moabite? Aren't you with an Ammonite? Aren't you married to a Moabite? And so they they begin to realize, even while they're there worshiping God, they begin to realize, even while we're here worshiping, literally we're being disobedient to God. We're breaking his commandments. We have allowed these pagan people to come in where God said they were not allowed to come in. And my friends, that's what happens. When you begin to drift away from the word of God, you allow things in to your life, you allow things into your temple that ought not to be there. Lost people, compromised people, unethical, immoral people, they're allowed into your life. Bad influences, bad thoughts, bad habits, foul language, dirty jokes, pornography, alcohol, drugs, sexual perversion, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, hatred, unforgiveness, pride, materialism, partial obedience. You see, when we drift away from the Word of God and we no longer have that as a focus in our life, we're no longer reading reading it, we're no longer studying it, we're no longer being obedient to it, all of a sudden we look up one day, and maybe not even because we intended it, we look up one day and we take an inventory of our lives and we realize that some things have been allowed in our life that ought not to be allowed in. But not only that, you can find yourself allied with ungodly people and ungodly things. Not just allowing things into your life, but literally being allied with those things, being friends with those things, being together with those things. And notice what it says in verse 4. Now before this, Elishib the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. So as you continue to read, what's going on? Not only as they read did they realize we've allowed these ungodly nations, these ungodly people into our lives and into the assembly of God, but as you continue to read in verse 4, it says, And Eliashib the priest was allied with Tobiah. Well, who was Tobiah? Well, number one, he was an Ammonite. Number two, if you go back and read the the book of Nehemiah, you will see that he was a horrible, wicked person. The whole time Nehemiah was there trying to rebuild the wall, Tobiah was fighting against Nehemiah. He was fighting against the people of God. He was trying to discourage them. He did everything he could to keep that wall from being built. And yet, who is it that Eliashib the priest is allied with? Who is it that Eliashib the priest is friends with? What does it mean to be allied with somebody? It means to be engaged to. It means to be um, joined to, to be members of, to be working together, to be on the side of. And You see, my friends, it's possible that as we come in here this evening, and as we take inventory of where we are, as we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, all of a sudden, you know, God begins to speak to us through His Word and through His Holy Spirit, and we begin to see, hey, it's not just these people here that had that allowed people and things into their life that ought not to be in their life, but I've allowed some things in my life that ought not to be here. And my friends, we're talking about revival. We're talking about wanting God to revive us. Let me tell you, you cannot be revived apart from the Word of God. And you cannot be revived apart from obedience to the Word of God. And you can't be revived as long as there's things and people in your life that are there and God doesn't want them there. And you certainly can't be revived if not only are those things allowed into your life, but you've literally befriended those things. You've literally allied yourself with those things. And then not only that, notice in verse 5, it says, And they had prepared for him a large room, who? Tobiah where previously they had stored the grain offerings and frankincense and articles, the tithes of the grain, the new wine, and the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the offerings of the priests. What did he say happened here? Literally, they had taken this evil man, Tobiah, and not only had they allowed him into their life, but literally the priest had become allied with this person, had become friends with this person, but that wasn't far enough. They had literally gone into the house of God, into the very temple itself, and they had taken a room that was to be used for the things of God, for the offerings of God, and they had taken the things of God out of that room, and they had put Tobiah and his things In that room, they had literally moved this evil, wicked man into the temple. You say, well, Brian, what what has this got to do with us? Well, this is where I'm going. The title of my message this evening is this. Does our temple need cleansing? Does our temple need cleansing? Let me tell you, one of the greatest things that God could do to bring revival in our lives this evening is if we have allowed things into our temple that ought not to be there, and we were to recognize that this evening with God's help, and we would ask him to come in and to cleanse our temple. Now, I know these these people had a physical temple, like our physical church. I realized that they had moved this man into a literal, literal space, a literal room. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the temple was a physical building, right? But the temple today is not a physical building. The temple of God today is us. The temple of God today is us. The Bible says that God no longer dwells in a temple made by human hands, but he dwells in the lives and the hearts of the people of God. If you're here this evening and you're saved, if you're here this evening and you're a child of God, the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment that you gave your life to Christ, and he came in and forgave you of your sins and washed you, And caused you to be born again into the family of God from that very moment the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life Your body is literally the temple of God See these people had to go to a building in order to to see the temple of God to be where God is But in in this case you and I are the temple And let me tell you something it was bad enough for the people of God to to get away from his word and to neglect the word of God, it was bad enough that as they neglected God's word and as they neglected his commandments that they allowed people and things into their life that ought not to be there and they allowed this evil man, Tobiah, into the temple and they literally threw out the things of God and moved him in. That was bad enough. But imagine how much worse it is when we as God's people we neglect the Word of God and I want you to ask yourself this evening am I neglecting the Word of God and you say well Brian I don't know well let me ask you this are you reading it are you reading the Word of God are you studying the Word of God does the Word of God have a real priority in your daily life? Is one of the main focuses of your life to be obedient to the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to dictate you know, how you live and what you do and what you don't do? You see, many of us this evening, if we were really honest on the inside between us and God, we would have to say no. I'm not really reading the Word of God like I know I ought to. I'm not really studying the Word of God like I ought to. I'm not really making that a priority in my life. I mean, oh yes, if you ask me, is the Word of God real, I will say yes. If you ask me, is the Word of God important, I know that the answer is yes. But really, if you examine my life, I I don't have much time for the Word of God. Well, my friend, let me tell you, that's all I need to know. I don't need to know anything else about your life. If you have drifted away from the Word of God, if you have drifted away from this being the priority of your life, living out this Word in obedience to God, then, my friends, I can guarantee you, you've already begun this drift. You've probably already done what these people have have been guilty of. You've already drifted away. You've already begun to allow things into your life and people into your life that ought not to be there. And so... If, and probably if we look real close, we could see how you've even allied and befriended and become close to these things. And you've probably even throw, thrown some of the things of God out in order to make room for these ungodly things. You say, Brian, help me to see this in modern day time. Well, many denominations, many Christian denominations in the United States, they have begun to not only accept but celebrate things like homosexuality, by ordaining people that are homosexual, by marrying people that are homosexual, by giving uh, approval to things like that, by saying that abortion is okay And telling their congregants that there's not only anything not wrong with it, that we should celebrate it, that we should promote it, that we should go out and and campaign and and, and do what we can to see that it becomes the law of our land. You see, even in our Christian denominations, how, how do you get there? How do you get to where Eliashib the priest is allied with some wicked man like Tobiah. How do you get to the place where the temple of God, you've thrown out the things of God and you've moved in the ungodly things of the world? You say, "Brian, that's just in the Old Testament. That couldn't happen today." It's happening today. We're literally the preachers and the priests and the ministers of the of the supposed Christian churches and denominations of our land have have drifted so far from the Word of God that they've allowed this ungodliness in. But my friends, it's so easy to stand up here and preach that. It's so easy to say amen to that. But the reality is, it's not just that ungodly pastor that's done that. When I look at my life, many things that I see in my life, many things that I see that I have become tolerant of, many things that I see that I spend my time on, many things that I see, my friends, let me tell you. What do you do today? What do you and I do today? If we look at our lives and, you know, as we look at the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's working on us and we say, you know what? The Word of God is not a priority in my life. I'm not spending time with it like I ought to. It's caused me to drift from where I need to be. It's caused me to accept things into my life, whether it's sin or habits or whatever it may be. It, it, it's called relationships. It's caused me to accept things and people into my life that ought not to be there, into my family that ought not to be there. It's caused me to the temple of God. It's caused it to become unclean. You say, how do I, how do I, how have I thrown things out, Brian? Well, when I hear people say things like this, and I hear people say it all the time, well, I just don't have time to pray and read the Bible every day. But that same person has two or three hours to spend on social media. That's when you've thrown out the things of God and moved in the things of the world. And my friends, I don't need to stand up here a long time and give you examples of that. God and the Holy Spirit is more than capable of helping you to see and to make application with what I'm talking about tonight. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit can show every single person in this room this evening how this applies to their life. But here's the thing, and here's where I want us to end very quickly. If you come to this place, and, and we've come here because we want revival. This is revival services. We scheduled out this time for revival. We want God to revive us. If this is where I am, somewhat neglecting the word of God, not prioritizing the word of God, and it's caused this reality, my temple has become defiled. My temple is not clean. What do you do? Well, it's interesting. I believe there's a pattern right here. I mean, it's just right from scripture. It's not like I'm making this stuff up. Nehemiah comes back, and he sees what has happened to God's people, and he sees what they have done. And I want you to just look at the steps that he took to cleanse the temple and see if we can apply those same steps to our life. Number one, look at verses six and seven. It says, And during all this, I was not in Jerusalem for the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing him a room for him in the courts of the house of God. The first thing, if we want to cleanse our temple, we have to allow God to show us the reality of the way things are. You see, there wasn't hardly a single person in this whole congregation that had a problem with what was going on. They didn't have a problem with the Ammonites and Moabites being there. They didn't have a problem with people being married to them. They didn't have a problem with their children dating them. They didn't have a problem with uh, the priest putting up with this evil man, Tobiah. They didn't have a problem with the things of God being thrown out and the things of evil in the world being moved into the temple of God. They didn't have a problem. Everybody had just, you know, they had drifted so far so slowly that all of a sudden they just... Sin was right there in their midst. Evil was right there in their midst. Ungodliness was right there. They had brought it in and moved out the things of God, and nobody even thought anything about it. Probably many of us in this room tonight are just like that. We have slowly drifted from God, drifted from His Word, We've allowed things in, and we don't even realize that there's a problem. The first step to cleansing the temple is for somebody to recognize that there's a problem. And Nehemiah came back, and you know what it says? I saw the evil that had been done. My friends, if you want revival tonight, allow God to show you the evil that's been done. Allow God to show you if there's ungodliness in your life. Don't don't just say, you know, well, I mean, compared to those people over there, I'm doing okay. I know I'm not doing all that I should do, but I'm doing... Don't do that. Allow the Spirit of God to show you whatever it is that's in your life that ought not to be there. Allow Him to show you where you've moved out the things of God and moved in the things of the world. And then secondly, look at verse 8. The first part of verse 8, and it grieved me bitterly, Nehemiah said. Not only do we allow God to show us the reality of the way things are in our life, but we become grieved over the things that grieve the heart of God. In the book of James, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You see we live in a society where everybody wants to be positive all the time and everybody wants to pat everybody on the back all the time and everybody wants to tell everybody how wonderful they are all the time and everybody wants to tell everybody how what you're doing is great all the time but it's not There's sometimes where we don't need to be patted on the back. There's sometimes where we don't need to be laughing. We don't need to just be carefree. We need we need to allow God to show us, "Hey, There's some things in your life that ought not to be there. And those things have grieved God. And if they grieve God, they ought to grieve me. But it's not enough just to be sad, it's not enough just to shed a few tears. What did Nehemiah do? In verse 8 it says, And it grieved me bitterly, therefore I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. If we want to cleanse our temple, not only do we have to become grieved over the things that grieve the heart of God, but we have to throw out all the things that have been brought into our temple that have defiled it. You say, Brian, what does that mean? I don't know. It might mean you're in a relationship with somebody that you need to go home tonight and break up with them. It might mean that you're at a job you need to quit. It might mean you're associating socially with people that aren't helping your family and you need to get away from them. It might mean you have allowed some vice into your life. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be a thousand things. You've allowed some vice into your life, some evil, some wickedness into your life. And it needs to be thrown out. My friends, don't think that we can have revival If God is wanting to show us some things in our life that aren't what he wants them to be and are not like what he wants them to be and we're living in in disobedience to God and his word and his commandments, don't think that you're going to be revived by allowing that thing to stay. I'm telling you, one of the things that could bring revival here, a greater revival than you could ever imagine, is for those of us that have things in our life that ought not to be there, for us to tell God tonight, throw it out. I'm like... But unfortunately, a lot of times we're like favor with those frogs. Moses went to him and said, when do you want them to go? Tomorrow. He wanted to sleep one more night with those frogs. My friends, don't be like that. Be like Nehemiah. Allow God to show you the things in your life that are not what they need to be. Become grieved over the things that grieve the heart of God. Throw out those things or allow God to throw out those things which have been allowed in your life that defile it. And then notice what he did in verse 9. And then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. I like that. He threw out the stuff. Do you have any stuff that needs to be thrown out? That's revival. You see, revival, I mean, it, it, I wish it was something I could do. I wish it was like, you know, dust and I could just bring it and sprinkle it over you and you could have revival, but it's not like that. Revival sometimes is hard work. Revival sometimes is, is unpleasant. Revival sometimes is seeing things that we don't want to see, allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to shine down into that deep, dark crevice that we've forgotten about and that we've hidden from the rest of the world. You know, I, I like it in, in certain translations. It says that he, he threw out Tobias' stuff. You know, I'm like all preachers, I guess. Every once in a while, we use those Greek and Hebrew words, you know. I do that very sparingly because I don't know much about them. But I know what stuff is. I know what stuff is. Do you have any stuff in your life that doesn't need to be there? I tell people, you know, most of us, I mean, if you came to my house, my wife keeps it really clean and everything. And, you know, we could just welcome you right into the living room of the kitchen and you could go to the bathroom and you'd think, hey, man, these people, you know, they, they run a tight ship around here. But now we got a closet. And most of us, we got a closet or a shed or a drawer or something, you know. And I, I say when I go to that closet, you know, I'm almost scared to open the door because it might avalanche out on you, you know. And that's where we keep all that stuff that we don't want everybody else to see. That's where, you know, everything else looks like I got it together, but in this closet, it's a disaster. Well, my friends, there's some of us, our temple The temple of God, your body, your life. There's some of us, I mean, we know how to straighten it up, don't we? We know how to straighten it up where when we come to church and where we go out in public and we get around other people, they look at us and they think, you know, that's a good guy. You know, she's really got it together. But what they don't know is what God knows. There's a closet in there where I have allowed a ton of garbage to be brought in. And all somebody would have to do is open that door and it would just avalanche out. And many of us were literally scared. Many of us were scared that one day somebody's going to see that. Somebody's going to find out what's really there in that room. My friends, I don't know if they're going to find out or not, but God already knows. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to come and to clean out that room. He wants to take those things out of your life. Those things that you've allowed in that have defiled you and that are keeping you from being revived and living a passionate Christian life. He wants to take those things out. But you know what he did when he took the things out? He ordered that the room would be cleansed. Sounds like my wife. My wife believes that you can't Really clean anything if you don't use Clorox. (laughs) I'm telling you, that woman will get Clorox liquid, Clorox spray, Clorox wipes. What cleanses our temple? I don't know what Nehemiah used to clean that room when he got the stuff out of it, but what cleanses our temple? There's only one thing. The blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My friends, not only do we need to get the stuff out of the room, we need the room to be cleansed. We need the temple to be cleansed. We need our lives to be cleansed. And only the blood of Jesus can do that. And then notice one last thing. It says, and then I commanded them to clean the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Not only did he throw the things that ought not to be there out, and not only did he allow the room to be cleansed, but he brought back the things of God into the temple that had been thrown out. You see, it's not enough for us just to get forgiveness for what we have in our life that ought not to be there. It's not enough even for God to get that stuff out of our life. It's not even enough for him to forgive us and for him to cleanse us with his blood. If we're going to truly be revived and if our temple's truly going to be cleansed, we've got to bring back the things that should have been there to start with. Not only did Nehemiah throw Tobias' stuff out, and not only did he ask for the room to be cleansed, but then he went one step further. He said, hey, there's some stuff that should have been in this room all the time. Things of God, offerings, instruments of worship. What have we got to bring back into our life what it is that we've thrown out? You haven't had time to read God's Word? Make time for it. You haven't had time to study God's Word? Make time for it. You haven't taken serious God's Word? You haven't been obedient to God's Word? Then start being obedient. You've been neglecting coming and, you know, to, the, to the services, maybe during COVID when we quit having services and, and you know, you got a little lax and all of a sudden you, know, you come, but you don't come as faithfully as you used to come or you used to come to everything and now you just come to this. My friends, you've moved some things out. They need to be moved back. They need to be moved back. Revival. Do you know where revival needs to start? It doesn't need to start out there. It needs to start in here. That's what the Bible says, that revival needs to start with the house of God. And the people of God. And so here we are here this evening, and we've come before God, and we've set aside this time, and we've said, Lord, I need to be revived spiritually. And God says, okay, the place you start is my word. And so we open the word of God, and we read. And God says, you see, there's some things in your life that ought not to be there. And you've become allied with those things and you've become friends with those things and you've become accepting of those things and over time literally what that's done is it's caused you not to have time for God and his word like you ought to and so you've moved the things of God out and you've moved more of the world in maybe not even intentionally but you see tonight that that's what's happened. And God says you really want to be revived? Let me tell you I want to revive you. I want to show you those things in your life. Not Brother Brian, not Pastor Darrell. God says, I want to put my finger on those things in your life that are not what I want them to be. And then I want you to become as grieved over those things as I am. And then with my help, I want to begin to get those things out of your life. And with my blood that I shed on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago, if you'll confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'll come in this service and I'll give you a revival like you've never seen before. I'll wash you and make you whiter than snow. I'll forgive every transgression, every sin, everything that's in your life, what it ought to be. I will wash it and cleanse it and make it as if it was never done. I will just clean you up. And then when we leave this place tonight, you and God, he'll begin to work with you to move back those things into your life that you've taken out that need to be there. It wasn't an overnight process that you move those ungodly things in, and it won't be an overnight process that you move them out and that you move the things of God back in. But I guarantee you this, it can start tonight. It can start tonight. If you're here in this room and there's never been a time in your life where you truly repented of your sins, I'm not talking about religion, I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. If you're here in this room, I don't care if you're a child, a youth, an adult, if you're here and there's never been a time in your life where you truly confessed your sin to Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness, there's never been a time in your life where you truly repented of your sin and turned away from your sin and put your faith in Christ for salvation, then my friend, you are incapable of doing what I've been preaching about. Because it's not a matter of the things that needed to be in your temple were there, and just over time you've taken some of them out. The reality is there's never been a time where the things that need to be there were put there. There's never been a time where the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your life. There's never been a time where you were truly saved and born again into the family of God. My friend, don't leave here. Don't leave here. This body wasn't designed for ungodliness. This body wasn't designed for the things of the world. This body was designed to be the temple of God. God wants to live in you. He wants to live with you. He wants to live through you. He wants to be with you every moment of your life. He wants to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He wants to be with you and give you a blessed, abundant life on this earth and an eternal life in heaven. But my friend, that can't take place until the Holy Spirit takes up residence in this temple. But there's a lot of us in this room tonight. We have been saved. There has been a moment in our life where we confessed our sins and repented and put our faith in Christ and we're born again into the family of God. And if we died right now, we would go to heaven to be with Jesus. Praise the Lord. But many of us that are saved, we're not living a revived, passionate Christian life. And the reason that we're not is because of the very thing that we talked about this evening. We've gotten away from the Word of God, away from reading it, away from studying it, away from obeying it, away from prioritizing it in our life. And as a result, the things of the world have come in slowly but surely. Ungodliness and sin and bad habits and evil and whatever it is, it's come in. And the things of God and time for the things of God has been thrown out to make room for these things. And if you want to be revived, we can't go on like we've been going. We can't just keep doing what we've been doing. We can't just keep ignoring what we've been ignoring. We've got to do like Nehemiah and say, I see what God sees. And I feel about it the way God feels about it. And tonight... Tonight, me and God are going to begin the process of throwing the things out that need to be thrown out. And when I get up off of this altar, He's going to have cleansed this temple. And when I leave here tonight, I'm going to leave different than I was when I came in. And when I go home tonight and I wake up tomorrow, me and God have some work to do. Because he's already showing me some things that he wants to move out. And some things that he wants to move back. Now, my friends, if all you want to do is just come to a revival service and check off a block, we'll be out of here in just a few minutes, and you can check off the block. But if you want revival, if you want to be revived, that's what it's going to take. And Pastor Dare was right earlier. This is definitely a time where we're not worried about what God's saying and doing in somebody's life down the pew. This is a moment where we're worried about what God's saying and doing in our life. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And there's two groups of people that I would like to respond to this invitation. And I want you to hear me. This isn't my invitation. This isn't this church's invitation. This isn't Pastor Daryl's invitation. This invitation is God's invitation. And the first group of people that I would like to respond to this invitation is if you're here and you say, you've, you've listened to this sermon and God spoke to you and you say, I tell you what, Brian. I don't don't have that. I I don't have God in my life like that. There's never been a time where I really repented of my sins and was saved like that. Maybe you've got religion, you've got church membership, you've got something, but you say, I just don't have the Spirit of God living in me because I'm just not saved. Pastor Darrell's going to be up here. And when we begin this invitation, my friend, I want you to just step out and I want you to come to him and just take him by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I want to be saved. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to say anything else. He'll help you from that moment. If there's more people than he can talk to, Brother Jim will step out here. I'll step out here. But you come. Because my friends, the not coming... You, you don't even want to think about the consequences of not coming. It's a miserable and disastrous life on this earth, and it's an eternity separated from God in hell. My friends, why would you risk that? Why would you live like that when the God of this universe died on a cross 2,000 years ago so you could be forgiven and so you could be accepted into his family? But the second group of people I want to respond to this invitation, I don't want you to stop and talk to me. I don't want you to stop and talk to one of these pastors. I want you to just come to this old-fashioned altar all the way across. And you say, well, Brian, maybe there's not enough room. You don't have to go there. You can get one step behind on the floor. You can get two steps behind on the floor. There are plenty of spaces on these front benches where you can just turn and kneel at these front benches. And you say, Brian, why do I need to come? Because we want revival. Because we want revival. And when I come, what I'm acknowledging to God is what Nehemiah acknowledged when he came back and he said, I saw the evil that was being done. And when you publicly respond and you come You're saying to God, I haven't been seeing what you see, and I haven't been feeling about the things in my life like you feel about them, but God, I see it. And God, I've come here tonight because I want to do some spiritual business with you. I want to do the kind of business that Nehemiah did with those people and that temple. I want to do that kind of business with my temple tonight. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for meeting us in this place. I thank you for all of these people that have come out and supported these revival services. But God, I pray that you would help us not to just come here and check off a block. Because Lord, every one of us in this room to one degree or the other can recognize ways in which we have drifted from your word. And as a result, Our lives and our temple, your temple, has been defiled. God, may you bring revival tonight to individual hearts and lives as we come to you like Nehemiah did and as we allow you to do the work that only you can do. And Lord, for those that need to be saved, may you draw them in only the way that you can draw them. And may they repent and put their faith in Christ. And may they take a public stand for you tonight by coming to pastor. Lord, may revival break out in this place tonight. And may it begin with me. In Jesus' name, amen.